There is so much goes on in the Gospel of John. So much that I think if we drank it all down as quickly as the guests at the wedding of Cana and Galilee appear to have drunk the wine, <laughs> that we might be intoxicated with a sensory overload. So much goes on in John's Gospel. Maybe John's Gospel was designed to be enjoyed in small sips. But instead, 42 verses, it was perhaps too long. I should have chosen something other, maybe a sip would have been enough. I, I have preached in John's Gospel, as I'm sure some of you have in here. I have also preached in John chapter 4, as I'm sure that some of you have. Sometimes a verse and sometimes a little bit of it. But I have preached on it. Some, sometimes I've preached on one greater than Jacob, absolutely. Living water, undeniably. I have preached on true worship, spirit and truth. Fields ready for harvest, man, it's all in there just in these 42 verses is too much, really. Sometimes a sip would just be enough, I think. And that is in a dialogue which can be interpreted on so many levels, historical, literary, maybe even allegorical preaching class. I know I said that as a surprise. Maybe even allegorical interpretation is possible in these verses. There is so much, and sometimes a sip will do I've also heard sermons preached on this. In fact, I've heard sermons that have rightly emphasized the fact that Jesus here crosses, not simply geographical, but he crosses ethnic and cultural and moral and religious boundaries in order for this conversation to take place. And as such, in John 4, we are provided with a model, we could say, of cross-cultural mission. I have heard these sermons. I have to also say that I've heard them preached in churches who thought that radical was not to look at a man with an earring in a strange way. <laughs> I, I'm not really quite sure what they would have done with a, a real live Samaritan. But nevertheless, I, I do remember one sermon I've heard on this, and it's stuck in my mind over the years. And my memory is a little bit foggy, but I decided to check some of the facts about this. Facebook Messenger can be helpful in finding people from your past. And this story, or this sermon, goes back to sometime in the, the mid to the late 1990s. At that time in my life, I had the grand title of Associate Minister Youth, Kirkintilloch Baptist Church. That was me. Among the things that we, we did in the church was we ran a whole number of open youth clubs. I can't remember whether at this time we were running one or two. Lots of young people from the area who had no connection with church came to these. And we decided that we wanted to find a better form of communication than the usual Christian youth club approach, which goes something like this. You've had the fun, you've had the snacks, now sit down, shut up, and listen, or we're putting you out. So we decided this was perhaps not the best way. I'm sure that doesn't happen here. Yeah, nevertheless, so, so the way to solve this is we brought in an expert, we brought in a specialist. His name is Ian Hoskins. Ian was a youth specialist, and he came, and he was going to teach us how to engage in informal conversation. On the Saturday, Ian ran a couple of workshops in the church, and then we arranged a seminar in one of my friend's homes in the evening. He had quite a large house. And we were going to have the 
this seminar, which will be followed by an Indian curry from one of our popular takeout restaurants. Indian curry always pulled the crowd, regardless of Ian Hoskins. And so there were quite a lot of people there. We gathered in the room, and Ian got up to speak to these youth leaders who had gathered there. He was going to speak from John chapter 4, and as he spoke, he lay down in the middle of the floor. I found this strange, actually. <laughs> As one who does not hug Spencer, I, I found it embarrassing. But more than that, I found it deeply irritating, because I had paid this guy to come. <laughs> I mean, we brought him all the way from England, no less. And I brought him as the expert, and the last thing I expected of the expert and the specialist was to be lying in the middle of the floor. I mean, I had asked him if he looked good, I would look good. us about the story of John chapter 4. In fact, it turned out to be memorable, for he taught us about power, power in conversations. Who has power? Who doesn't? And pointed out that in this story, this story starts not with the Jesus in the position of one who can help, but it starts in the position of Jesus as one who needs help. We read that, verse 6. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. So that when the Samaritan woman comes to draw water, he says to her, will you give me a drink? One Bible commentator says that means a sip. Anyway, carry on. Well, I don't think that what Jesus was doing at this point was putting into action something he had learned from page one of a contagious Christianity manual on how to talk to people because as Christians we clearly have forgotten how to do that. I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. I think as we are told he sat there because he was tired, he was thirsty, it was hot and he was alone. One writer has said he was dog-tired. Another writer has said, here we see the humanity of the one who will show his divinity. But one way or another, even though it might have been human what happened, it still was a bit strange. And it was strange for the reasons we've already mentioned and the reasons you know it was strange because he was a man, he was a Jew, he was a rabbi, she was a woman, she was a Samaritan, and she was alone. And there was a whole web of rules concerning all of these things that meant that the conversation that then took place was in some ways mm, inappropriate. One commentator says, the breaches of religious and social boundaries so culturally deep are virtually unimaginable. Clearly Jesus, however, could imagine them. Nevertheless, I don't think this is at all about humanity. Jesus didn't need to re reveal his humanity because he was human. <laughs> that was never her real issue, to be honest. <laughs> but rather, what we see here is his vulnerability. For the request that he makes is capable of being refused. The request that he makes is capable of being critiqued. He risks himself into a context where he could face rebuff and rejection, dec decline and disapproval. The woman actually doesn't quite refuse him, but she clearly finds it strange. She says to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? John, the, the writer of the gospel, thinks we're a bit slow, so he reminds us, just in case you don't get it, folks, 
Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Ah, we go, we get it now. <laughs> Her surprising reluctance, however, is even deeper because it's not simply he asked her for a drink, which in itself was strange, but clearly he was quite prepared to drink from her water jug. And that's why as she begins to try and make sense of what he is saying to her, she comments to say to him, but you don't have anything to draw the water with and the well is deep. It's not enough that he's speaking to her, but he'll drink out the jug that she also has drank out of. She is surprised. Now, whether we view the woman as some medieval writers did, is being immensely patient with Jesus as she tries to work out what on earth he's talking about. Or whether we view the woman as some early reformed writers did, is sassy and brash. One way or the other, however we view her, she is actually surprised. And at least a little reluctant because it was a strange request. The disciples, on the other hand, they keep their opinions to themselves, although someone knows what they thought and calls them out. They thought when they returned, why are you talking with her? One writer names it. The disciples in this story represent the disapproval of society. Reluctance and disapproval were the very real risks in the request that he made. Vulnerability risks that. Vulnerability risks cold shoulder and critique. Vulnerability risks refusal and renunciation. Vulnerability risks dissent and disapproval. But vulnerability in taking that risk opens up a space which invites another person in. And in this story, the woman steps into it. Indeed, what Jesus does here is so typical of his own, his whole ministry. He risks the possibility of refusal and rejection for the possibility of people getting it. Indeed, right at the beginning of the Gospel of John, we have been told that. The writer tells us there, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak at Ruth Ton's ordination. Ruth is a, a graduate from here. And on that occasion, I, I, I stole from the Apostle Paul. Well, I was preaching. And uh, <laughs> I, I took that whole image of, you know, jars of clay, the jars of clay image. And I actually had a jar with me to try and preach on this theme of we are jars of clay and it's in jars of clay. I, I think now that what I was trying to say at Ruth's ordination <laughs> is that our vulnerability should be a mark of our ministry. We are, where we are prepared to risk rejection and refusal, cold shoulder and critique 
for the sake of trying to create a space in which others can enter. Now, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, because what I'm going to say is this. If I was preaching this sermon two weeks ago, I would have stopped there. But I'm not. Because in the last 10 days, I learned something new about vulnerability. And it surprised me. But once I'd seen it, I see that it's so embedded in this passage. This is what happened. I was making my way down to the festival theatre, down the hill, as we say. I like the festival theatre. You can run with horses there. Okay. In-house joke, sorry. But on this occasion, I was going down to meet a, a prof from the music department. I had only got to know him by attending a seminar that's meant to improve our learning and teaching. Some of the folk in my class are going, oh, go to more of them, please. <laughs> and in the room, there had been me, a musician and a scientist, and we were learning together about learning and teaching in higher education. And so I then sent him an email, because I liked it. It was, to use his phrase, not mine, it was good vibe. Right? <laughs> and I, I sent him an email, and I said to him, I, I want to know whether passion in performance is something we can or should teach. Do you teach it? So he said, come down to see me. So I went down the hill to the festival theatre, went up the stairs into some of these old rooms. It really feels like a music department. I liked it, right? And we had a fascinating conversation for uh, about 50 minutes around a number of themes. And at one point, he began to speak about vulnerability. Now, I'm going to give you a kind of precis of the conversation. Because anyone who has ever read Harold Pinter's plays, you will know that conversations are strange things. So I'm going to have to organize it to bring sense. And by the way, that's the most literary illustration you'll ever hear me give in my life. (laughs) So the conversation went something like this. He said, you do have to have a bit of ego to get up and perform or get up and preach. He said, we do have to have a bit of an ego. You need to believe that you have something worth communicating or you wouldn't do it. And although we have our own vulnerability, as I have here today, about your opinion of me, although I have that, I have enough ego to think that this is important enough to get up there. So I, I carry my vulnerability and my ego as I get up on the stage. He says, but then you, you need to do something. He said, you need to turn And you need to look out into the room. And this was his example. You need to see the woman sitting in the front row with all of her vulnerability. And you must not turn away, but embrace it and invite her on the journey of your performance. Mm. And there you will find your passion. In this passage, one of the striking things is how much Jesus knows about her. We can call that divine knowledge. We can call it prophetic knowledge. It doesn't actually really matter. But in here, we know that this is one of the major themes. You are right, Jesus says there, when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And later her claim is, come meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. Jesus clearly looked at this woman 
looked in our face, looked in our soul, and, and saw all of our vulnerability. Now, what the five husband thing means can be interpreted in a whole variety of ways. Let me simply say this, though. If we are going to stress her sinfulness, sinful woman, let us also stress the fact that she became an evangelist, preaching woman. But whatever, whatever it means. Uh, That was slightly sneaky. Whatever it means. Whatever it means. He looked at her. He embraced her vulnerability. He did not turn away from it. And he invited her on a journey of discovery. I think that's the other side of what it means to vulnerability in ministry. We need to embrace both our own and the risk of rejection and refusal. But the vulnerability of others without rejecting them in their vulnerability. And what that does is it creates a space not only so another can enter in, but it creates a space in which we can both be changed and in which people might actually discover that Jesus is the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. So much in here. Reading was too long. (laughs) Some commentators make a big deal of the fact that when the disciples come, the woman goes back to the town and leaves her water jug. I'm concerned that Jesus never got a drink. (laughs) But you know, maybe for both of them, a sip of vulnerability was enough. For maybe when they drank it, it tasted like spirit-infused living water. The kind that transformed her life. And the kind that he had come to bring. And both of them were satisfied. Because sometimes a sip is just enough. Amen.